This podcast is intended solely for blind and print-impaired audiences and is brought to you by the Radio Talking Book Service in Omaha, Nebraska. It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cami Carlisle. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Community Conversations. I'm Cami Carlisle, and today we are speaking with Brad Murins, Public Policy Director for Disability Rights Nebraska. Welcome, Brad. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak today. Absolutely. Now, before we get too into the thick of what you've been working on, tell us just a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what Disability Nebraska does. Sure. Uh, well, uh, like, like you said earlier, I am the public policy director at Disability Rights Nebraska. Uh, I am a native Nebraskan. I was born and raised in Omaha. Uh, I was, uh, went to Omaha Westside High School. Uh, I graduated, went to the University of Nebraska Lincoln. Uh, mm-hmm. For my college, my bachelor's is in Latin, uh, mm-hmm. with emphasis in, or minors in English, history, and international relations. Cool. Uh, after I graduated with that degree, I went to go, uh, uh, coach debate and get into graduate school at Syracuse University. Mm, very then, good. Uh, two years later, I graduated with my master's in public administration from there, from the Maxwell School, and did a little stint out in D.C., and then I came back to Nebraska, came back to the heartland. I believe uh, it, was good, it was a good choice. Good. I think so, too. Glad that we have you here, Brad. So yeah. tell us a little bit about Disability Nebraska, and then we'll get into all the bills you're working on. Sure. Disability Rights Nebraska is the Designated Protection and Advocacy Organization for Persons with Disabilities in Nebraska. Okay. Uh, federal law in the late 70s uh, required that all the states and territories have a protection and advocacy organization for persons with disabilities in their states. So there's Disability Rights Iowa, Disability Rights Kansas, California, Washington, Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico. Wow. Okay. Uh, and our main, and our main charge, uh, uh, is to, like we said, protect, advocate and to protect the rights of persons with disabilities. Right. In the state. Exactly. Um, so, and we do that, uh, we, we, uh, implement a couple of different strategies to, to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, one of the hallmarks of the protection and advocacy organizations is their ability to, uh, use the legal system and the court system for advocacy, uh, and then we also are fortunate to be one of a growing number, but still a minority that have a robust and active legislative and public policy uh, arm to our advocacy. So that's where I fit in. And we work with, with the legislature and other policymakers uh, in the state and on the federal level to some extent to, uh, adv- you know, to advocate and educate them about um, how they can make the best policies for persons and disabilities in the state. Right. Very good. Now, unfortunately, though, in this session, I have a feeling like many others, not much has happened because here we are. But you have a lot of bills out there that if the session ever moves forward, then we might see some progress. But you're still working on them regardless. I mean, they still have to be out there. So I know you're working on a lot. And I read through some of the bills you're working on. I feel like the one that might have the most at stake for disabilities is LB 811, the Student Discipline Act. Yeah, that, that, that's right not that? yep, okay. that, that would I would include that too. Yep. All right. So tell us about that as well. In addition to eight eleven, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, LB two seventy eight talks about housing for persons with disabilities. That's really important, right? Uh, and then you know LB seven seventy and six seventy five talk about voting, the voting ID, 
right. uh, issue. And so, you know, 770 talks about requiring that the DMVs and education or the election polling places are accessible. Right. Uh, and 65 also has a component about that, but it also that it has an expanded uh, list of what those IDs would be. So, yeah, there's there's a several bills that would have a significant impact. I think those those three would be the top, my top three. Okay, good. Well, tell us more about LB 811, the Student Discipline Act. And I know that you have testified already on behalf of this, right? So tell mm-hmm. us what this is about and what this represents. Sure. Uh, LB 811 is about the third or fourth rendition of this bill that started about eight or nine years ago as LB 595. Right. And over the years, the language has not changed very much, uh, changes a little bit here and there. It becomes a little bit more vague and a little bit more, a little bit more unclear, uh, as the, as the years have gone on. Mm-hmm. But, uh, a legislative bill 811 would do two things. One, well, three things actually. One is that it would, it would uh, allow, uh, all school personnel from mm-hmm. the principal, superintendent, administrators, all the way down to the cafeteria workers, uh, all, any school personnel would be able to physically intervene. Okay. Uh, when, uh, a student's behavior was such that it would create a risk of physical injury to themselves or others. Got it. Or if they were, if they had a piece of property, like, like a stapler and they were, uh, had it in their hands and the, and the, uh, personnel thought that there was a risk of bodily injury from throwing it or something like that, then, you know, mm-hmm. they would be able to react and intervene at that point with physical force. Uh, th- that's the first part. Uh, that's right. the main part, for at least the, our, our perspective. And the second part talks about how, uh, uh, having a policy and how do you, uh, take students out of the classroom, uh, when mm-hmm. they're being disruptive. Uh, right. and that's important for the disability community because there are certain, Federal laws, the Individual Disability Education Act, the IDEA, has some pretty uh, prescriptive uh, policies about how to do that for kids with disabilities. So, and then that's the second part. The third part talks about a training component. So they're going to provide some money from the lottery uh, funds to provide behavioral health awareness training for uh, teachers, administrators, faculty, uh, and, and then anybody else at the school the, the, the deems that they want to extend that training to other personnel, like custodians, cafeteria workers, and the, right, the training does not have to be the same. It can be, a, it can be one that's similar to the training that the teachers get, but it does not have mm-hmm. to be the same. This just seems crazy to me. I read that. So 13% students with disabilities, right? 13% na- of the national student population, but they represent 80% of the use of restraints. That just seems outrageous to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about, I think it's about 70,000 or a hundred, it's, it's like 70 to a hundred thousand students. Uh, That's crazy. And then I saw the, the fiscal bill. And right. so that is to train the janitors and the nurses and everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to do that behavior that Senator uh, M. Kavanaugh, she filed a motion to indefinitely postpone, and then that's been sent over to the Education Committee. So what is the status of this right now? Sure. Uh, so LB811, like every other bill in the Nebraska legislature, is guaranteed and did receive a public mm-hmm. hearing. Right. It's an opportunity for the public to raise issues, uh, provide input and feedback uh, and information 
about that particular bill. Uh, right. This this bill had a relatively early hearing, uh, and uh, there were two two proponents. Uh, the NSEA, uh, and there's another individual that spoke on behalf. And then there were about you know, 15 to 20 opponents. We were okay. obviously one of those. The bill uh, had its hearing, uh, but it has not moved out of committee. Okay. It was not, it did not get, it did not receive a priority status either as a Senator priority bill. Uh, Senator Merman, who was the sponsor of this particular LB 811, Mm-hmm. Uh, decided to to uh, prioritize the medical ethics diversity bill, uh, and then the education committee gets two bills that they can prioritize. Uh, mm-hmm. But they prioritized five twenty eight and LB seven hundred five. Now uh-huh. LB seven hundred five is interesting here because LB eight eleven is LB seven hundred five. That's the training piece plus uh-huh. the restraint. Piece. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, LB-811 has the, the components, the seven LB-705 has that training piece in it, but it does not have the restraint piece. Uh, and so th- they chose to uh, prioritize those two bills. So it's still sitting in committee. Okay. Now, this is also the long sessions, the first session of the 108th legislature. What, th- what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That means that any bill that does not affirmatively get killed Gets, gets to be carried over to the next session. So oh. even if this bill, 811 or any other, other ones sitting in committee don't move out of committee or they don't move out of general file, they'll still be there come January of 2024. Okay. Now, if the bills do not get passed at the end of the 2024 session, right. then they automatically expire and they have to be reintroduced at the beginning of January of 2025. Okay. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of bills that we're going to see again in January of next year as everything comes to a halt. So, so let me ask you, is this bill even necessary? In Uh, your your opinion, honestly, we don't, we don't think so. Um, Because the schools, schools are already required under rule 10 Mm -hmm. uh, in order for them to be accredited. They have to meet the demands of rule 10, which is a, state regulation on accreditation of schools. Uh In Rule 10, schools are required to have a policy on restraint and seclusion use. Okay. The problem is that's it. That doesn't talk about what that policy has to contain, what it should contain. It should just says you have to have one. Uh, And so as a result, uh, different schools have different policies on the use of restraint and seclusion. Right. Uh, Senator Merman was was had has asked uh, this year and in previous years why restraints not even written in the bill. Why does this even matter? Well, the problem is is that even with language that's very vague and neutral, like the language in LB eight eleven and all its all of the previous versions, right? Kids with disabilities get swept up in that neutral language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and the other thing that we think that makes this bill unnecessary is that the policies that schools already have cover already cover explicitly in their in 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 many of the school's policies the exact type of behaviors and situations that are described in lb 811 so for example uh if there's a you know a, a situation where a student's behavior you know might be interpreted as dangerous or right. you know having the potential to mm-hmm. cause injury, right? The, 
uh, the, the many of the schools colleges already say any student who's exhibiting that type of behavior, you know, who's posing a an imminent threat of serious bodily injury, can't, you can use restraint on that individual. And that is also consistent with much of the literature on restraint and seclusion use. No one's saying that you should never, ever, well, the, the, the majority of the literature does not say you should never, ever, ever use these techniques of restraint, mm-hmm. but they should be used truly as a last resort when everything else has failed and the the situation is a, is is imminently acute. Right. And right. that, and you should only use that level of force necessary to stop the incident and to control the, you know, and as soon as the, the behavior is, or the incident risk is gone, the restraint should be, should be minimized. Uh, however, in the literature, they also say that there are some free, there are some uh, universal norms. Like everyone agrees that you should not use prone restraint, which is basically putting someone face down on the floor and sitting on top of them because that presents right. a, an asphyxiation risk. And that is one of the most, uh, one of the most common ways kids have died uh, or, or uh, was through prone restraint. Yikes. Whew. That's so heavy. yeah, again, you know, we don't think, we think that the existing policies that schools are required to have would cover these type of incidents. Now it does raise an issue though, is that we have varying to a, a degree, varying uh, school policies. So there's one school that I've researched has a policy that's literally a paragraph long. It just basically says, we will restrain you if we feel like it. And you have a lot of other schools will have much more prescriptive definitions of what is restraint. When can you use it? How long can you use it? When do do you have to notify the parents? And if so, how many? So it's very, very detailed, a lot Mm -hmm. more detailed than than, than LB11 language, which also presents another issue. It's like, well... If we have, if the schools already have these, well, these, these developed policies that are oftentimes much more spelled out than the language in LB811, which one, which one do students, which is teachers follow? Do they follow right. the school policies or do they follow the state law? Right. Again, we're not, uh, we're not saying that, that we shouldn't have some sort of state statutory, you know, discussion or mention of restraint and seclusion or, mm-hmm. or to regulate that practice sure. better, but we just think that the language in LB 811, much like the language in all the other versions, is way too way too lax. It's, yep. it's, there are no definitions of physical intervention. There, there, it's not about an imminent risk of serious bodily injury. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the other things that was that really uh, raises a, a, a significant red flag for us and for many others um, is that if a teacher uh, were to use restraint, as long as it was deemed reasonable, mm-hmm. there is there is no there there is no accountability. The teachers right. no, would teachers would not face or anybody else right would not face any administrative or professional discipline when they were to if they were to use restraint and or seclusion or restraint restraining kids uh, through physical force. I see. And, you know, uh, that what, what we've seen in the literature uh, is that when we don't hold officials accountable for actions, that just perpetuates and exacerbates the situation. So let's shift gears and talk about LB 278 that uh, Senator Walls brought. And that is basically all about building safe and affordable housing for individuals with disabilities in accordance with the Olmstead plan. So my first question is, what is the Olmstead plan? Sure. 
And um, the Olmstead plan. So in 1999, there was a Supreme Court decision, Olmstead v. LC. Uh, and in this decision, it was kind of an extension of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And it's basically, okay. the Olmstead decision basically says that if, if a person with a disability does not want to be institutionalized and they do not need to live in an institution, you can't force them to live in an institution. Got it. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, and, and it's a pretty expansive, it's a pretty expansive definition. That's, that's obviously a very simplified and very narrow sure. dis, you know, discussion or uh, definition of, of the Olmstead decision. It's a very, very significant decision uh, for persons with disabilities. Basically, but in a nutshell, the reason why it's a, a talked about here is that if we want people to live within the community, you have to have places in the community for them to live. Right. And so part of an Olmstead, and so... Uh, one of the things that uh, states would, are required to under the Olmstead decision is to create an Olmstead plan. How are you going to uh, get people into the community? How are you going to keep them in the community? How, what services and how are you going to set them up so that they can stay and thrive in the communities of their choice? Right. Uh, and- people with disabilities have every right, as much right as anybody else, to live in their communities of choice. Uh, and if, and especially like the decision said, if you don't need that level of care and you can be served. Mm-hmm. then there's no reason why they have to keep you in, you know, an institution. You testified in committee on this bill. And I seriously, my, my jaw hit the ground when I read that one quarter of individuals experiencing homelessness have a disability. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really, I mean, there's a, a significant overlap between homelessness and disability. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, you know, factors involved that right. lead to that. The, the number and the amount of accessible housing uh, that's affordable is uh, almost non-existent. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's so sparse. Accessible mm-hmm. housing is very, very sparse. It's very difficult for someone like Vincent at this point to find a place where he can get into the house with his wheelchair. So my, one of my points in the testimony was affordable housing is great. But affordable housing doesn't do you any good if you can't get into the house. And yes. so what, what we should also be looking at not only the affordability of the housing, but also is it accessible for right. persons with disabilities? Because remember, around 13% of our state population identifies as a person with disability, which is around 250,000 people. Wow. And those are our neighbors, our friends. Our community members, they, the people with disabilities exist in every single county. All 93 have people with disabilities in them and they have every right to be in the community, uh, uh, of their choice and being able to, to, you know, to receive services in that, in that fashion if they can. And so our emphasis was accessibility. And it was interesting because I, I was presenting this, uh, another presentation to another group earlier, uh, last year, uh, and there was a housing developer in the audience and mm-hmm. she, said to me, she's like, you know, I'm, I'm glad you talked about accessibility because when I think of accessibility as a developer, I'm thinking of proximity to the bus route. And she's like, I never thought about accessibility being, being able to access the building. I'm like, well, yeah. And I said that, that, and that, that was one of my, uh, my other arguments for a legislative bill 424, which would create the housing and urban development department. And I said, you know, we need to be speaking with the same vocabulary. So that right. when I say the accessibility, it's not not only is it the proximity to the bus route, because that's important, too. But it also needs to be we need to be thinking about the, being able to access the building. And 
if we can build the affordable housing and we can build it, making it accessible from the get go, we mm-hmm. don't have to retrofit it. Right. You don't have to pay again to make it work and fit for someone who needs an accessible accommodation. Do you want to talk about the election act or voting? You tell me what's the hot button. Oh, sure. I, well, I think on the voting issues, uh, for us, the, the, mm-hmm. the hot button issues are, are, are two. Uh, one is obviously voter ID. Right. Um, you know, uh, many folks with disabilities may not have a, a, a driver's license. They may not drive. They may live, you know, in a nursing home. They may live, uh, in the community. They may not be able to drive for right. a variety of different reasons. Maybe they don't, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, they may not need a state ID or they don't have one. Uh, or they don't know where all of the information or all the documents they would need to get that birth certificate. Right. Example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we think that, that, that erects another barrier to someone being able to, you, you know, enforce or implement their, their constitutional rights. Um, and we noticed that, you know, it's about, you know, the driver's licenses, you know, 30 some dollars and, uh, yeah. versus if it's like 40, I mean, it's, it, it would cost you upwards of almost a hundred dollars just to get the material. If, if you didn't have a driver's license and you didn't have your birth certificate and all those, all those materials, right. it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's, there's a, there's a cost. And especially if you live, you know, in, in, in you know, a far, far away from Lincoln or you don't live right. near the DMV or you don't live near, you know, so that's an extra barrier and an extra burden that we don't think is 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 necessary, and that person with disabilities uh, will, will just it will work to disenfranchise them. The second issue that we that we have, you know, so we're we're in definitely in favor and supportive of uh, the bills that have an, a more expansive set of uh, uh, IDs. I mean, if, if 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 voter ID is going to happen, and it, it's it's not the question is not whether or not we should or should not. The question now is what what does this look like? And how can we make right. this easy? You know, how can we make this set it up so that it's easiest for persons to avail themselves of the system? That really is this, this, our second point is that we, uh, our organization did some research over the last summer. Uh, we went and did some surveys of polling places, DMVs and election offices. Right. And we found that there were a lot of them that were not accessible. Again, accessibility that right. were not accessible. Uh, for persons with disabilities, for example, uh, they so a lot of them uh, didn't have uh, signage to let you know where the accessible parking or the doors were, or the door was all the way around the outside of the building from the accessibility Ooh. parking. Yeah, some oh, of them did. Some of them had crushed rock uh, all the way up to the uh, polling place, and the problem is that with crushed rock is horrible for persons who use motorized for wheelchairs, persons who use right. walkers, canes. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them had elevators to the second floor, but the elevators did not have a key. You had to get a key or they didn't work. Oh, some of them didn't have uh, the, the automatic door openers weren't, weren't working. Uh, and some of them had um, a, a, a raised lip uh, threshold of to get inside, which is impossible for a person who uses a wheelchair. Right. And so uh, our you know issue and the reason why we've been supportive of uh, things like LB 770 and LB 675 mm-hmm. is that, uh, you know, Requiring voter ID forces persons with disabilities to enter systems that are not accessible to them. They force them into systems that, right. that cannot serve them because they are not ADA compliant and they're not accessible. Which would be yeah. totally frustrating 
after they've jumped through all the hoops to go get their voter ID, come up with the money, find the transportation, and then just show up, and then they can't even get in the building. That would be maddening. I mean, just like, okay, so now... LB 675 is about amending the election act. And again, we talked about this meeting the requirements mm-hmm. and you just said how many you found. Tell me, what are your feelings? If this actually goes and people can debate and talk and all that good stuff, what are your feelings on this? How is this going to swing? Um, I think, you know, I think they're going to um, end up coming up with a middle ground between uh, Senator Erdman and Senator Slama, you know, so the, 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 the bills that are more restrictive with valid ID types. Yeah. And then LB 675, which has a, which has, you know, a very expansive list, like do have two page list. I, I think what's going to happen is they'll, they'll basically combine those to shuffle them, you know, filter them out, shuffle them around and come up with a more robust uh, list. That's a combination of the two. Um, and, okay. and even, you know, Senator, Day uh, says with uh, admitted in uh, her bill 605 that, yeah, there are some lists, some IDs that she's listed in there that don't have a picture on them. But I right. the point was, well, let's 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 take the universe of IDs and then we'll filter them down to what we think would be an appropriate or reasonable workable uh, uh, number or workable types. So I Good. think they're going to end up, you know, kind of finding a middle, finding some middle ground. Um, Maybe movie, next year. Movie. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> this rate, right? Right? Yeah, yeah we're, I think I mean, we're on day 51, I think, or something like that. Uh, yeah. The 90 day session. I think it is. Yeah. So, yeah, we're so a bit halfway. Yeah, we're halfway, but man, what a session. So, we got about two and a half minutes left. Anything else you want to talk about in regarding bills that you're working on? Um. Well, you know, I just think, uh, you know, I, I think. LB 339 is an interesting bill too that would be, that would require uh, some certain bills that the executive board designates okay. would require those to have a disability impact statement, which would basically be the legislative research office in unicameral would basically try to figure out what is the impact of legislation X on the disability community. Okay. Uh, legislation Y, Z, uh, what is the impact of this bill on the disability community? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, I think that we, we testified in support of that bill. Uh, I think it's really an interesting, interesting concept. And I think it's a good, it will be you know, a good reminder of the 13%, 250,000 people in, in our state. And it would, re- it would also be a good concrete reminder of the obligation and responsibility of the state to provide services for communities that need assistance or who are, you know, marginalized and need, they need services. And require, and again, it could be a constant reminder of people with disabilities to keep them front and center in people's minds. So, right. Yeah, but yes, it, we should. It's going to be an interesting session, but that's also, I think underscores the need for people with disabilities and their family members and their advocates and those, and just citizens to yeah. engage in the process. They, they, the senators want your input. They are asking for it. How often do you get people to ask you, well, what do you really think? Tell me your real right. opinion. What do you really think? And yes. when someone says that to you, you should take it. Yes. Yeah. And absolutely. Our senators are totally accessible via email. You can call them. You can try to pull them off the floor. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, yeah like you said, I, I tell people, I say, you know, there, you have an, 
option to weigh in on whatever bill or issue from the beginning all yep. the way until these until the governor puts his or her pen on that paper. Yep. You can speak and influence that bill. Yes, or and please do information information to people who are making the decisions. Exactly. You know? And they'll be the first ones to the senators will be the first ones to say, I don't know everything. What do, what do what tell me what I need to know about this issue to make the yeah. best decision that I can. Absolutely. And uh, you know if if there's silence at the end of that question, they're not gonna, you know, they need that yeah. information. Exactly. Well, sadly, our time is up. We could talk forever, Brad, you and I. Yep. So give us your website real quick, if you will, to Disability Rights Nebraska. Sure. It's www.disabilityrightsnebraska.org. All, all spelled out, disabilityrightsnebraska.org. And on the site, you can look at what, what we do and how we do it. All of our testimony and our legislative agenda is on that website. So any of the public policy stuff, if you're interested in what we said, and what the bill and what we're looking at, it's all available on our website. So go check it out. And uh, and uh, if anyone has any questions or has an opinion about a bill, I would I'm all ears. If you think I need to know something, please let me know. I'm, I'm all ears. All right, everybody, you heard that. So go to that website and you'll find the contact to Brad. Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Cami Carlisle, and you've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book Service. Thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. The Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.